Yo. You made it. What's good, man? Man, I bought this sign just for you. I said, I got to have them on if I got a sign. Yo, you said we're all set up. I thought you had a whole team. <laughs> nah, hell no. Nah. <laughs> you had a laptop at your house. I you appreciate you. Next room. No, I do have a team. They just not here right now. See, these, they left. <laughs> <laughs> we, shot, we shot music videos last week. We were recording oh, this Oh, yeah, you doing it. We were doing You're a doing bunch it. of shit. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, um, man, I appreciate you for uh, hopping on, man. Of course. Um, you know, we go way, way back. Uh, I want you to know the reason I started this podcast, because I'm a little late. I feel like a late to the podcast game. Um, but I started it because I wanted to celebrate people that I felt like were living legends and or making legendary moves out here. Um, Thank you, man. Yeah, straight up, bro. And, and you somebody, I've been watching you. Um, you know, we linked up in L.A., you disappeared and went to uh, New York. <laughs> I had to do it, man. I had to do it. Yeah, and so I, I, want, I want to get into all of that, man. Um, and then also I've created this platform because I know, even being the, the star of a, a network show at one time, how hard it is to get on a late night show and how hard yeah. it is to, to get on an Ellen and, and stuff like that. So I wanted to create a, a platform where people that I found talented can have a place, you know, and build this up because this is the very infant stages of, of, of the podcast. So that's why I even appreciate you coming on. But to be able to build this up to be a place where talented individuals who may not be um, Kevin Hart yet, uh-oh, you, you disappeared. But yeah, people that may not be at Kevin Hart level yet, you see what I'm saying? And people that may not be the top dog yet, they could still have a place to come and promote and talk about stuff that's on their mind. So uh, that's why I had you on, bro. Thank you, man. Appreciate you having me. First off, I want to get into like the the foundation, like like where did you grow up and when did comedy come into play for you? First of all, you're my first friend in stand up. You know that? You probably number one. You probably number one, bro. Um, I, I started that. in. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, southern town, and at some point, I think I realized honestly, just being funny was a way to be liked, and I realized I could do it. And I don't remember, I think I got made fun of like a little bit as a kid, nothing crazy, but my brother was just like, why do you not make fun of people back? And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that was a possibility. And then I started doing it and I was pretty good at it because I went to school with white kids. And I was like, oh, this, this is a, an avenue to be funny. And then I think it just built and I just got like more and more kind of consumed with being the center of attention, trying to be funny, how do you be funny? I remember watching Bring the Pain, and that's when I was like, Chris Rock special. And I was like, oh, that's what stand-up is. And then I remember listening to Eddie Murphy's Greatest Hits with some friends. And when he did the bit about uh, the barbecue, Goonie Goo Goo, <laughs> I mean, I was crying laughing. And that's when I realized how funny stand-up could be. And then I remember my, my white friend put me on a Dave Chappelle before the show, before any of that. Before he really blew up, he was like, yo, you know who you would like? Dave Chappelle. And then I was obsessed with Dave Chappelle and I would play it on a CD in my car. And I think the idea was kind of there. And then my friend told me, you're not going to, I was supposed to be a doctor, obviously, because I'm Indian. He was like, you're not going to be a doctor. You're going to be stand up. I'm going to be your manager. I'm going to take 10% of whatever you make. And then like two years later, we went to different colleges, but he made me do it. And that's where like from that moment when it went well, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm I about to do. say. How'd it go? How'd that first set go? It was a trash set in retrospect. It was like hacky. But like I had it all memorized like a script and I would run it for my friends and I would get laughs. So I was like, all right, I can, I can go out there and try this. But I, you're, just, you're just doing a script that first time. You just have lines and you do them. 
And then I remember there was one time where like a couple times where I wanted to get to my next line and they were laughing so hard I couldn't say it. And I was freaking out like, oh man, what am I going to do? They're laughing so hard. I can't say what I need to say. And then I was like, oh, in the back of my mind, I was like, oh shit, they're laughing so hard. I can't even say anything. <laughs> right. I won. And that I was the coolest feeling I've ever had to this day. I'll never forget that. I was like, oh, whoa. And that's when I knew. I didn't admit it for like five more years after, but that's when I knew. What did your parents say when you told them you wasn't going to be a doctor <laughs> and you wanted to get into stand-up? My dad said, you're an idiot, but I can't tell you what to do. I graduated college. And then my mom said, I go, because I was like, I was going to go to LA for a year. And if it worked out great and if it didn't, I'll go try to apply to med school or whatever. But my mom was like, go, because I would wonder, I would rather you know, even if you can't do it, than wonder for the rest of your life, which I thought was great. Absolutely. So when she said that, I was like, let's go. Let me tell you another reason why I have you on the podcast, because, you know, anybody that's of the culture recognizes that he's wearing a Hillman hoodie. Uh, <laughs> 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 and, and Hillman was the name of a college uh, on, on a TV show. Uh, God damn. Now I can't even fucking remember the TV show. I'm different not of the world, culture. Dog. A, Come on. Now. A different world. I know. I was like, it ain't the Cosby show. Forever, bro. The original Ross and Rachel. Straight, straight, straight up, though. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, a different world is, is uh, who gave you that hoodie? Where you get that hoodie from? I saw somebody wearing it at Wild and Out, and I was like, yo, I, I fucking love that hoodie. And he was like, oh, I'll send you one. This, this is my company. So Hillman Shirts, I think, is what it's called. But they got, like, uh, ULA Peacock shirts. They got, um, what's his name, Gordon Art Gartrell T-shirts. They got, like, every show that you grew up on, they have, like, T-shirts for it. That's crazy. Oh. Uh, I don't know if you know Issa Rae's production company. It's called Hillman Grad. That's the name of her production really? company. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I seen her wearing a Hillman sweatshirt, though, from this company. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm still out of culture. You fuck boys and girls out there questioning me. I'm sure people are like, this nigga ain't even know. And I know it's a different world. <laughs> nigga, I watched the show. I had, a fro I had a slip just now. Oh, whole ass people. So listen. <laughs> so, all right. So you moved to L.A. Yeah. Why L.A. versus New York off top? What, why, yep. why was L.A. the first stop? So my best friend was moving out there, the same kid that put me on the Dave Chappelle CD. And then my roommate from college, Luther, who you met, he always said he was going to go out to L.A. He said, I'm going to wait a year, and then I'm going to go out to L.A. And I, in retrospect, I actually really facilitated a breakup with a girl he really loved because I was like, why are you waiting a year? My, my friend was already going out there, and I was kind of thinking about it, and I was like, yo, what if all three of us live together? And so... That eventually broke Luther up with his girl, and he moved it out there with us. And so that was the only reason I went to L.A., because it was like, this is all something I'm just, like, really doing on a whim. Like, I'm not thinking this through. It just seems like, hey, let's take a shot. And New York didn't even cross my mind, but all the vets, particularly, like, in the black rooms, would be like, you did this backward. You need to go to New York to get funny. Then you come to L.A. to get famous. You're not supposed to come get funny in L.A. And I was like, all right, well, I want to be funny more than I want to be famous. So let's go to New York. And for the kind of comedy I like to do, which is like, you know, edgier or whatever, like, I, you know, I try to be funny and authentic, but also divisive and all that. It, New York was better for me. Right. So do you remember the first time we met? I don't remember specifically, but I do. I do remember you were number one. Yeah, that's so <laughs> funny, too, because I don't remember the first time we met. But I just remember we clicked somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm not even sure exactly. Maybe it was an open mic. Maybe. I, I have no clue. But I just knew we linked up. We used to hit spots together. 
I remember yeah. I needed a ride to the Laugh Factory. You picked me up from a crib one time. Yeah. And and we I went to and see I, Chris Rock tape uh, "Kill the Messenger." Or not tape, but we went to see him run it in L.A. You, me, and Luther. Yep, I remember that man. So yeah, we go way, way back. And you, let me tell yeah. you what I learned from that performance of Chris Rock. Yeah. I remember the first ten minutes, he was kind of struggling, uh, and not really struggling, struggling, but I could tell the audience was tight, and he just kept going, kept going, kept going. And by the mm. end of the night, everybody, yeah. oh! So that what I learned from watching him that night was like, oh shit! If you just keep going, as long as you have material that's solid, and just keep going, you eventually win over the crowd and get the response that you that you're going for. That's mm. what I learned from that night. That's interesting because even now I think I back out too much. I think when they don't laugh, I still start freaking out like, oh my god, I'm not funny, and they're realizing it. I'm a fraud, and they're realizing it. Like yeah. they're still bad a little bit with me. And when I can just sit in it and be like, yo, it's okay, it just goes so much better. They they feel that and they they like respect you off of it. They do, man. See, I, I learned that too because I, I used that same method. I had the headline at a college and I was filming MacGyver. I hadn't done stand-up in a month. And they was yeah. like, we got you headlining at like Michigan State. Some I don't know what college it was. My bad. Shout out to everybody at the college. So, <laughs> so <laughs> some college that didn't matter. So I got That's this how college. Rich. That's how you know Justin Hires is rich. Hey man, measly ten grand check I got. I don't even know. Who cares? Yeah, it probably it, it probably was something like that. But listen, so, <laughs> so I'm like, I, yeah. I know. So I go to this college, and I had performed in fucking a month, and I'm headlining. And I, the first five, no, first 10, 15 minutes, I'm like kind of struggling. I'm like, God damn, I got thirty more minutes to go. But yeah. I just kept going, kept going, and actually started doing my racial material. That's when the crowd actually was like, yeah, you're right. We are racist. And then fucking really? they, all, they all started laughing when I started doing all my racial material, bro. It was crazy. Black school or white school? White school. It was only one black dude in the audience. And I was like, I was like, where are the white people at? They was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, where are the black people at? Me. It was just <laughs> one nigga. He <laughs> was like, oh my God, yo. It was oh. crazy. So this this what I want to get into. When your early days in LA, mm -hmm. when did you how was that grind like? And when did you decide that you know what LA not really working out for me? I'm gonna make this trip to New York. LA was actually working out for me. When I first got there, it was not. When I first got there, you might have seen me bomb probably somewhere. I would go up like once every three or four months and just bomb. I did I did really well once and then two or three three times I just bombed the black rooms bomb bomb and then finally it sunk in that you can't do this and I don't know how I didn't notice at the time but you can't do this every few months this is something you have to do every day and then a switch flip where I was like all right I'm gonna do it at least five times a week that's just what that is and so I started hitting stages more and more often and some of the stages probably weren't even good for me like open mics at the fucking haha -ha cafe yeah. that couldn't have been good for me that often <laughs> um but I definitely struggled but then I started to kind of figure it out um, probably my last like six months in LA, my last year-ish in LA. And I remember kind of feeling like people were like, not like he's a superstar in the making or anything like that, but he's one of the funny kids in the new class. That was the feeling I got from, from the outside. It's like, oh, he's one, of the, he's one of the kids to watch. Not the, one of the kids to watch. Right. And I still was just like, I don't know. Something about New York was just like that, uh, that appealed to me. And I remember Rel Battle saying, he went out there, funny comedian, 
a friend of ours, he went out there and he came Creator of Roast like, Battle. He's actually creator. Creator of Roast Battle. The actual creator of Roast Battle. Shouts to Jeff Ross. Good luck with them charges. The creator of Roast Battle. Oh, he got Battle. some charges? Oh, shit. <laughs> he got some accusations, at least. Breaking he got news. Some accusations. <laughs> so good luck, buddy. Uh, got dominant. He was like, he was like, I went to LA for like two weeks. And he was like, you, Akash, would love it. You would never come back. And something about it, man, it felt like I want to be that kind of comic that I hear about in New York. I didn't even see it. We didn't have YouTube like that. We weren't on it like that. We didn't have access to everybody. But just the idea of what that was appealed to me. And for me, what I know it was good for. And it, my first year in New York, if you're talking about that, I'll save it. But I bombed for a good year straight. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. But so, so when in LA, I would like say these cute little jokes and then I would kind of squeeze what I wanted to say into the joke. And I'm a guy that, you know, is super opinionated, like, but I wouldn't, I would like have the funny thing. And then I kind of jam my opinion in there. And in New York, I started just trying to say my opinion and make that funny. Mm. And that was a, that sounds like a simple change, but it was so hard. And I would go to these like hood rooms because you could just get up easily and I would just bomb and I would like try new material and I wouldn't just acknowledge the fact that I'm Indian because I was like this out of college kid who thought it didn't matter and I'm a moron. Even though I'm super proud of being Indian, I wouldn't like just address the fact that, hey, here's somebody doing stand-up comedy that you've probably never seen doing stand-up comedy. Like if a guy in a wheelchair went up there, this is what I realized. They don't see any Indians in their day-to-day outside of the bodega. So if a guy in a wheelchair came up to me where I don't see a lot of people in wheelchairs at a comedy club and never acknowledged a wheelchair, I'd be like, hey man, you don't have to, but it's a little weird. Right, <laughs> right, right. And that was me never acknowledging being Indian. So now I'll always try to have a joke that acknowledges if I'm opening, like, hey, I am different than you without pandering. And then things will get easier. But like all these little rules I just didn't know at the time. And like, I was so stubborn on how I thought I wanted to be funny. And it just, it was rough. Dog. I, I legit got worse in comedy from year one and a half to year three, probably. Wow. In L.A. or New York? In just overall comedy. I moved to L.A. after about a year and a half. So gotcha. from the time I got to New York until probably a year and a half into New York, maybe yeah, up to almost two years, I was just getting worse and worse, like bombing and bombing. And I'm obviously really close with Andrew Schultz. We're in his studio right now. But like, I remember him saying to me, he was like, honestly, man, there is just something unlikable about you on that stage. Oh, shit. And what well, I I'm didn't a- realize... Uh-huh is I was so afraid of bombing. I was doing the thing where I was like, all right, well, you're not going to like me. I'm going to make you not like me before you can decide for yourself. I didn't even realize I was doing it. And then I listened to how hard he worked when he started comedy. And he like was just telling somebody, we were doing like some NYU newspaper report or something. Somebody's interviewing us. And he talked about how hard he worked. And I was like, bro, that blew my mind. He said, dog, you have no idea. I literally wrote down every word of Dave Chappelle's half hour comedy special and tried to analyze why it was funny wow and so i heard that and i was like all right bet let's go so i wrote down the first five minutes of dave Chappelle of killing him softly of uh, never uh, for what it's worth i did chris rock i did two of his specials i did aziz i did louis ck comics i didn't even really like them i was like i'm not a big louis fan even before the the jerking off i was like eh. but i'm gonna figure out what what's the science of funny every word i would transcribe every facial gesture i would write out every hand gesture I would write out. And then every time they got a laugh, I would put a star by it and I would try to figure out why it got a laugh. That's amazing. And that man. was the beginning of me starting to, starting to figure out my funny. I know I still got a, a ways to go, but that was me like, okay, here's now we're getting out of the bottom. 
Well, I heard Seinfeld say on a on an interview recently, like however many years you've been doing stand up, that's like your comedy age. So like yeah. if we've been doing stand up for thirteen years, you'd be like you're a thirteen year old in stand up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me tell you when I realized you had grown as a comedian. Comedian, and it was actually pretty recently. And it's when you was headlining down here in Atlanta. Yeah. And I hit you up. I said, oh, shit, I got you performing. I was like, oh, shit, I got to hit him up. You know, I said, like, yeah, shit, I love to get up. But I just want right. to see you perform because right. this is after the podcast taking off. And I had seen you do stand up in, in since L.A. Right. Uh, because I wasn't really watching the I, I would see the YouTube clips. But seeing clips and seeing somebody live and seeing them doing 45 minutes to an hour, that's a whole different thing. I'm like, anybody could take when they said something funny and post right. it online versus, no, I could actually do this shit. Right. So to get back to when you were saying you was bombing, I probably seen you bombing. I did. You see what I'm saying? So my yeah. memory of you is you was a super nice dude. We had, we would make each other laugh, but I did right. see you bombing on stage. Right. Uh, and I would see you do okay. You see what I'm yeah. saying? But I, I didn't, I never saw you kill, but we got to remember that's only you being in LA for a year, year and a half. So right. I never saw you kill, kill. So fast forward to right before COVID, this is how recent this is. Yeah. I finally yeah. get to see you live after yeah. you done being in New York all this time and been working on your craft and doing all the transcribing, which I had no idea about. Right. And I was like, oh shit. I'm like, yo, he's funny, funny. I don't know if Thank you remember you, like how excited I was after that. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate I was like, you. yo, he the real deal. I'm like, because you have, you have a perspective. Um, it's not hacky. Um, it's your, it, it's your own, you can tell it's you. Um, yeah. and just the level that you've grown as a comedian is, is incredible, man. And, and when I was watching you, I was like, oh no, he's finna get his own special. He finna have his own TV show, like the Thank movies, you, he, he finna have all of that, you know? So salute, yeah. salute to that. Thank you, man. What's funny is the networks do not like me at all. Not yet. And that's a, yeah. I remember you put, you uh, posted our comedy central clip. Um, somewhere me and Andrew <laughs> yeah. laughing at all the Comedy Central execs who got fired yeah. and that comes from feeling like and the podcast was born out of especially for him but also for me feeling like oh we're trying so hard to appease these people and they just don't seem to like our brand of humor they just don't seem to like the guy who isn't going to automatically hate all Republicans or isn't going to pander to whoever and you know what I mean so like having a perspective that isn't popular that to me is the fun one I want the unpopular perspective because if I can make you laugh at that, now I did something. If I can get you to agree and clap, like, I, I feel like I'm cheating. Like, what is this? Like, I'm dunking on a six-foot rim. Um, right. So that, for that reason, like, the specials and all that, to me, I'm almost like, I don't care about it nearly as much. And I also was just like, maybe that wasn't for me. And that's a part of God's plan. Of like, you have your own independent route to go. And I promise you, you're going to be happier this way. So, like, when people say that, I'm almost like, yo, that would be great. I'd take it. But I, I feel like it wasn't supposed to go like that, at least not for a while, at least not now. Yeah, I, one thing I know about Hollywood, I mean, is they don't fuck with you until everybody is fucking with you. So, yeah. so it's one of those things where even with Andrew, which I want to get to how y'all connected, but even with Andrew and what you're doing, you all are building a fan base. Here's the difference between me and you right now. I would assume financially I may have a little bit more money because I'm on a network TV show right, at, right. at the moment. Right. But you have the people behind you. That's yeah. far more important in this game than me being on a network show. I mean, me being on a network show is cool, 
But what I'm saying is you, y'all garnering, garnering this, the, the people behind y'all, that's going to get you the TV shows, in the movies, in that big bank account. Yeah, and that's, so here's another thing I've learned is like, there was, a, it's not much money, but like, I remember I was on like six MTV shows. There was a few years where MTV just loved me. They were throwing me on everything. I think six TV shows in one year and a Netflix show that like we shot independently, but Netflix put on their platform and they said like, hey, if this goes, we'll give you a second season, Netflix original. I'm super hyped. First time in my life I made six figures. Young six, but it's there. And then I'm thinking, all right, here we go. This is the beginning. And this is 2017 goes well. Then 2018, one by one, every single show doesn't get picked up except for one show that didn't have me back. So I went from making my first time making six figures to legit not even making five. I'd be shocked if I made five figures. Wow. But in that time, at the end of 2017, we started this, this Flagrant 2 podcast. And I legit was, was, I found out about this thing called Patreon where people can subscribe, you know, and do bonus content and whatever. And there was this podcast called Come Town, super graphic <laughs> name. But they were, they were legit making like 35000 a month on Patreon. And I was like, what is this? And then I thought about our fan base. And I said, I know they're loyal, man. They're not big, but I know they're loyal. I was telling Andrew, like, yo, I think we should do this. I think we should do this. And he was so busy. He was like, man, I don't know. I don't know. Finally, I went so broke. I said, I am literally ble- I'm pleading with you at this point. Let's start the Patreon. He was like, fine, let's do it. And he was great about marketing it. Like, he kind of led the way on that. I'm not going to front and like thinking how we're going to get people into this. And now we legit have the number seven Patreon in the entire world or something like that. Wow. And that's completely fan funded and it's providing a living that knock on wood, I'm happy with. And I, you know, my fiance and I, I think I could pay for the wedding if I need to. And like, you know, all this stuff is just from the people. So to that point, the people, we are kind of taking the power slowly. We're stripping it away from the middlemen and Absolutely. we're going straight to the people. And that's the kind of the way of the future. And so my, I'm super happy that you're killing it so hard in the industry. My wish for you as a friend is playing. You're not a dumb guy. You're planning financially. I'm sure you got a family. You're thinking differently, but like as long-term as you can stretch that money. And in the meantime, keep doing stuff like this, keep building with the people. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do, man. And I learned that even from watching somebody like you and Andrew, man, I'm like, yeah, I've been wanting to do a podcast for two years. It's just that I've been filming MacGyver then finally doing this pandemic, I was like, I finally got an opportunity to really pull the trigger on that and get a good enough episodes. Like, fuck, I had George Wallace yesterday. You know what I'm That's saying? That's great, dude. Yeah, so, you That's know, just, just being able to, to, to build this platform up, like I said, but I'm looking at stuff that you and Andrew are doing. It's like, yeah, they like, they don't give a fuck when it comes to like their comedy you know like y'all are just yeah. like yo we go build build our brand we go be us and if the industry want to di- fuck with us cool if not fuck them you know because we we still get the money anyways well I, we wouldn't have done it if we got accepted off rip if they just loved us we'd have i'd have been the biggest hey man i gotta go network at this party i gotta kiss up to this guy this guy this guy now i think i don't have and again i think that's where it's like almost divine work like i just wasn't listening to god and he was like i just keep taking shows until he gets it keep taking money until he gets it and now he's like look you get to be you now you get to be you the way you want to be you he knows i hate networking i hate kissing ass i'm terrible at it i'm not i'm very see-through when i do it so like (laughs) he was just like just don't don't, believe you man worry about all that yeah nobody believes it how how did you link up with andrew so super early it was like my first second week in new york maybe we didn't become like really close friends after this, but I was uh, doing a, a show in Brooklyn 
um, Hadia Robinson, very funny comedian. It was her room in Brooklyn, I believe. And so somebody told me about it. So I just go out there. It's like deep in Brooklyn somewhere. I don't even remember where. I'd never, I had no idea where I was. Show ends up getting canceled. I meet Andrew, this, this white dude with like a mohawk wearing these skinny jeans back before I knew skinny jeans were fashionable. And that's what everybody was doing. And I was like, who is this nerd, dude? But then I'm like, oh, he's at all black room. So he's probably not like a pussy or whatever. But he, we, he just says, what's up? Show gets canceled. And he says, hey, do you want to ride back to the city? And I'm like, oh, yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. In the car, we just start talking, and all of our tastes on comedy is aligned. Like, we both loved Bill Burr. This is before Burr had popped. The Philadelphia thing had happened, but he hadn't popped yet. Uh, we both loved T.K. Kirkland. We both loved, like, all these random comics. All the way, we're just doing bits back and forth. And I was like, oh, this guy is cool, but we didn't hang out. And then I hung out with him another time, like, a few months later, and it was cool. And I saw him on stage, and he ripped. Like, this is when I'm still bombing. He's ripping. And then... Eventually, I legit went back home for two months, and I was thinking about moving back to L.A., and this was like uh, after almost a year of living in New York, and after two months, I said, let me go back and give it one more chance before I just quit on New York. I'm not going to quit comedy, but I was really thinking about going back to L.A., mm. and so uh, I go back, and I'm like, you know what? I have fun when I hang out with Andrew. Let's go hang, hang out at this place. He is called the Village Lantern. And the Village Lantern is where you do the barking. Where you oh, stand yeah, outside I love, I love Village Lanterns. I, I go up when, yeah. I'm, when I'm there. Mm -hmm. So I was there hanging out for like a week, getting up whenever, two weeks, a month maybe. At some point, Andrew's like, just bark, dude. And I'm not even above it. I mean, probably on some level, but also I'm like, yo, I don't think I get anybody in. Like, I'm nervous asking these people to come see me when I know I'm a bomb. But I did it, and then he and I would just talk after the show and just rap about comedy or whatever. And it just, we just clicked on a... I think if you're a comedian and you click with somebody's comedic sensibilities, that's enough for a friendship right there. But also like we're both super loyal and like all these other things and it just became a close friendship really quickly. Yeah, man. Um, that, that, that's a phenomenal thing. What, what do you feel like you've learned the most since working with him? His work ethic is maniacal. And I don't even know if I can match it, to be honest. Sometimes it's like intimidating. Like he can obsess over like, you know, he was talking about his special and I, I think he was up in, in his studio until three in the morning. How do I walk out on stage? Holy shit. I saw him doing a theater that he's not even putting out for any big thing. It's just that, hey, he tapes all his shows. The introduction for how he walks on stage. Now, granted, he's back in New York and he's from New York and it's important. But like the amount of time he spent on the intro, it was a, it's a really fucking amazing intro with like, this certain song and then the lights hit in a certain way but he spent two hours with the lighting people trying to get the lights exactly right they still fucked it up but two <laughs> hours on an intro for a show you don't shoot you don't film you don't put out and that's where i'm like honestly at some point it's unhealthy right. but that's where i'm like oh that's why he is where he is anybody who thinks he doesn't deserve it now i think everybody gets it but for a long time people would like oh, your friend is an asshole or whatever. He's not that funny. They didn't want to give it up to him. And I'd be there. And I'm a guy that hates hard and loves hard. If I think you're trash, I'm going to let everybody know. If I think you're great, I'm going to let everybody know. And I was like, y'all, what are y'all not seeing? This guy's the best in our class. Like, I'm a cocky guy, I think, with comedy. <laughs> I'd give it up to this guy. But that's what I got from him is it's not like some natural gift. It is obsessive work ethic. You know, I, I stumbled upon Andrew super early. I was actually, he was on my radar super early. I consider myself a comedy nerd. And um, right. it probably was around the time, maybe Guy Code, at least. Because, you know, I right. don't live in New York. But at least since the Guy Code days, he was on right. my radar. To the point that he don't know this, but, like, 
I was pitching a show idea years ago and I had mm-hmm. his name in the pitch document. Like right. that, yeah, and he don't even, he don't know this shit, you know, and then I, yeah. I, had, I had recently reached out to him because we was actually in the process of working on the show, but I'm like, he was like, he was busy and I was like, cool, you got shit going on. So yeah. I, I, you know, because what, what, this is what I respect about him, even when he was like, he got, he was busy, he, he was about, he was about to tape his special. I'm like, the reason I didn't get in my feelings, I'm like, what he's doing is correct. Everything yeah. he's doing is right. Yeah. So yeah. whatever his gut is telling him to do, nigga, follow that shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. fuck me. Fuck whatever yeah. my idea is. If whatever yeah. you doing is correct. So that's why when yeah. he was like, I'm busy, I just fell back. And I'm like, motherfucker, he don't know this. But in my mind, I'm like, go do you. Because what you're yeah. doing is working. Yeah. And it's, again, it's born out of just like the rejection and being forced down that certain path. But yeah, now it's like, there's no other path for this guy. This is his path to greatness. Absolutely. Um, when did you all decide to begin the flagrant two? And this gonna sound like a dumbass question. I'm sure y'all get this question all the time, but I don't know the answer to it. Was there a flagrant, flagrant one? Two? No, no, no. Uh, we, he and I had been, to be honest, when he started Brilliant Idiots with Charlemagne, that was, I, I told him, this is the first time in your career I'm jealous of you because I know how good this is going to be. And also because I don't even think I felt comfortable enough saying this to him because it was like mad vulnerable. But I was like, I want us to do a podcast together. I think a podcast with us would be great. And I had thought that for, we even tried doing like a video podcast once or twice, like in year three of comedy and it was garbage. But like, I always thought he and I would be great on a podcast, but Brilliant Idiots took off. It was so good for him. It was great. I never wanted to, and he's always done so much for me that I never wanted to like ask him for anything. But then he and I started, he would have me guest fill in on Brilliant Idiot sometimes. And then he and I started talking about doing a podcast together. And the second he approached me, I was like, whatever, let's do it. Whatever you want to do, I think it'll be, I think it would go. Um, and we, we were like, we recorded a couple of episodes at his house just to see what we talk about. And we thought like, we need an anchor of something that isn't polarizing. And we can talk about whatever we want to, but this is our marketing thing. This is what we anchor it with. And sports is what we both fell on. Mm. Actually, he probably said sports. And I was like, great. I love sports. I know he doesn't love it as much as me, but like, I'll talk about sports and then get crazy. And flagrant two is the basketball foul that gets you thrown out of the game. Like you're not, you're just trying to hurt the other person. Oh, gotcha. So it fit perfectly. So we said, let's do this flagrant two. And it was more sports intensive, but we kind of knew we're going to let go of the sports I think he wanted to let go of it more than me because I truly love sports. But like a lot of people don't care about it that much. Like, and I'm not saying this to pick on you. You didn't know what flagrant two was. You're like most people. Most people are like, whatever, man, be funny. Right. All those basketball fouls. Because I, I, lo- I like sports, but I don't love sports most like people. that. Right. And most people aren't tuning in for a podcast on sports. So we kind of saw that. And then the, the thing that he again foresaw was like the thing that made this special was the friendship more than the knowledge or the insight or whatever. So we kind of leaned into the friendship. We added a couple other people. We had to move, remove one or two people, but like. I'm about to say, uh, didn't y'all have like a third host or something? Yeah, that yeah, there's a whole, a whole drama with that. But he and I, everybody's good. We're on good terms, but it was like, it was a thing. Um, gotcha. But yeah, it, uh, it, it ended up being like this thing that we really kind of, and we both knew, again, we don't want to be apologetic for anything. So we knew it's going to be like, it's going to be raw. How, how long, 
and for were you all doing the sports topic before you all realized we need to transition into broader topics? Pretty recently, like just before Corona, we were, and we had been transitioning more and more, but just before Corona, we were like, let's lean into the non-sports as much. Like, I think we changed the category on Apple Podcasts from sports to comedy. And especially yeah. as Andrew blew up as a comedian, like it just doesn't make sense to do a, uh, a sports podcast with a comedian with a million YouTube subscribers for his standup. You know what I right. mean? So I think it, it just made more, and we'll still talk about it, but it's like the way guys talk about sports where you come to it, you talk about it, but you're not getting like dorky about it. You're just talking about it. And then you, and I'm down to get dorky about it, but like, we'll talk about it. We'll touch on it. What's an interesting angle about this. And then let's move on. So here, here's a question. Cause I feel like this is something that, that you're doing uh, brilliantly also. Uh, and I guess you and Andrew are doing this brilliantly um, is marketing. How, how did you start using YouTube and Instagram to start building your fan base and people that's loyal to your brand? So luckily for, well, I guess also luckily for Andrew, he had brilliant idiots and he had a fan base from that. Luckily for me, I had Flager too and Andrew's help and I had a fan base from that. And I just kind of, he was like, just do whatever I do. And I would just, <laughs> hey, put up a clip every week. And I knew uh, for me, I wanted to be, and I think he, we've talked about this or he brought it up, like, what's your ultimate goal? And then backtrack from there. My first ultimate goal, I want to be the greatest ever, one of the greatest ever. First, I want to be like the greatest Indian comic. There's no question who the greatest my kind of brown comic is. That needs to be me. I need that. I want that throne, that crown. So I kind of, and I'm like, like, you know, I've always been very proud to be an Indian. I know that's my market. Once they find out about me, they don't know yet. Once they find out, it's going to be, it's going to be different. But you feel like they're knowing you now though, right? A little bit, but not quite. They tend okay. to not know about people until they're on the Netflix show or the whatever. Once everybody else fucks with them, we're the opposite of black people. Black people will make you famous if you're black is what I always hear. And brown people will wait till you're famous and then they'll make you more famous. <laughs> okay, okay. Cultural difference. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I respect the way y'all do it much more. Y'all don't, don't need other people's cosigns. Indians, I feel like, need the cosign of other people in mainstream stuff. And then they're like, oh, this... Um, gotcha. but that from that goal, I've always tried to market us in a certain sense, like in India or never out, I've never run from doing shows in India. If any Indian asked me to do a podcast and I know he's not like a, uh, like a, a bad guy or whatever. Yeah, let's do it. And then I've also tried to like find every edge within like the way I caption an Instagram video. It's, it's a very specific way. Like how do you keep people engaged? And then the marketing is just like, kind of marketing to my fans like yo guys thank you we're doing this together i hope you know it's not just me we're all doing this together right and so, so making them feel included uh yeah in your success included and letting them know you this is because of you you are a part of this and not letting them forget that let's all do this together what what and was the first with nothing what was the first youtube video or instagram clip that you started to really get some traction um and let you know you was headed in the right direction so i randomly had a video that i that i knew would be good but it was me and a heckler going back and forth for like six minutes or something it's actually like 13 and i cut it down and this is like 2013 i put it online and it just sat there and it got up to like almost 100,000 views and all of a sudden it hit the front page of reddit and it got 600,000 views and 500,000 on world star apparently dave Chappelle saw it and thought it was really funny my my homie mo Amer was telling me that's dave Damn. boy and I didn't even know that until recently, but that just went. And I was like, all right, I didn't know how to capitalize on that. Then when I started putting clips up, the first Instagram clip I put up had 450,000 views. 
and it was like the oh, first shit. Instagram clip you first put up, IG video I put up, it, it hits 450,000 views. I'm like, yo, this is about to be lit. Let's go. I'm gonna, I'm getting like three, 400 followers a day. My Instagram videos are doing well, 100,000, 200,000. I'm going, uh, and then all of a sudden I get shadow banned because I have a couple of posts that people reported. So you would like, you would have to type my entire name to get to my IG handle. And even then I'd be like the fourth one, fifth one, whatever. Yeah. It just, and my views went, they plummeted from like hundreds of thousands to like 8,000, 9,000, 10,000. And that lasted, I couldn't, I got reported like multiple times. So I couldn't shake that for like three months. So that slowed me down there. But the one good thing is it kind of refocus my efforts on youtube where i would upload videos on youtube every week but i was like eh, whatever they're not they're getting like 100 views 200 views 300 views i had 500 subscribers at the time and some of them hit 3,000 or whatever then all of a sudden one video hit 300,000 on youtube and the thing about going viral is you don't really even want your first video to go viral it's almost better if your fifth or sixth video goes viral because once people see a video that goes that they like they'll say oh what else does he have hmm so my videos went from 300,000 on one and like 1,000 on the other, but then it started bleeding into the other ones. And I had like three, four videos at 100,000. And then every viral video does the same thing. It floats everything else up. And it's not like every video goes viral. I've had like, I had my first two clips hit a million. The Heckler one finally hit a million and then another one hit a million recently. But like, that's kind of how that, that happened. Let me tell you why I, I feel... The, the biggest mistake, the only thing that I feel like I kind of re regretted was I was on YouTube super early. You were. Like, I was doing schedule. Like when I, I remember when I was doing YouTube, the only other black people I saw on YouTube was Donald Glover, Afion Crockett, and maybe Lil Duvall. Um, yeah. That was it when it came. And, yeah. and I have, and back then, viral meant your shit got a million views. So yeah. I had videos doing that. Um, yeah. And at the time, I was like, damn. I don't know if I want to be known as an online comedian because it was like a stand-up versus online comedian yeah. thing going on. Yeah. So that yeah. I stopped doing fucking YouTube. Then I seen a YouTube comedian book a movie uh, called The Heat. His name Spoken Reasons. And he booked a movie called The Heat. I was like, I need to get back on YouTube. I got yeah, yeah. back on YouTube. I went viral again. And then even then, I still kind of took my foot off the gas a little. And so I was like, Damn, that's the one thing I wish if I could go back in time, they'd be like, no regrets. I'm like, man, fuck all that. If I could go back in time, <laughs> that's the <laughs> one thing. I wish I would have continued to put out content consistently on YouTube to build that you know, brand. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I wish I had a sketch brain. I don't have a sketch brain. But if you do, like, Clayton is our boy. Clayton is killing it on Facebook. He's got a million followers on Facebook. And there's a, actually a ton of people that aren't really exploiting that. So if I'm you, I would keep churning out sketch after sketch after sketch and put it on YouTube, YouTube and Facebook and just pump them out. And eventually it'll catch again. A lot of it is just like, how consistent are you? How often do you have material for people to see? And if they see it and they like it, they, they will, it will become habitual. And once it becomes habitual, then you're making money off of those things. And when you get independent checks off Facebook, YouTube, like all these little other streams, the network money is great, but it's not as necessary. Right. How consistent do you feel you are at putting out content? Post Corona, I've been terrible. I mean, I ran out of stand up and then I haven't figured out how to transition. Um, you know, I'm helping, I'm helping Andrew with this thing right now. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be super busy until the new year, but yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I got to figure out how to really put out something weekly again. And I've right. been putting vlogs on Facebook. Just like I saying on Facebook, uh, I'll do a Monday, Wednesday, Friday vlog typically. Oh, nice. And, that's cool, but like I need something else also. 
one, this is something that I actually want to talk about because, you know, when you said me spending my money, making it long, like what I'd use for my money, I, I bought a house out here. I use it for corporate rentals. Um, right. And I'm in the process of getting a building out here. Um, yeah, I <laughs> appreciate it. So it'll be a light. I do got lights and shit. You can't see them right now. But <laughs> <laughs> when did y'all get that building? How did y'all go about it? Is it, are, is it being, is it bought? Is it leased? But what was the thought behind getting a studio for what y'all are doing? I don't know the details of the, the agreement, but I know, Andrew, when we were, we used to rent out from somebody else. And again, this timing was perfect because uh, post Corona, we probably couldn't have gotten into the building. But uh, I know Andrew was just like, with this just, he just always hated the way the room looked. He's like, it just looks bad. He thought about renovating that room, but a bunch of other podcasts use it. They weren't as respectful of the space. They leave shit everywhere or whatever. And then he started looking for studio space. And then he, he said, you know, he wanted to be in this specific part of Brooklyn. And he said, it feels like old New York. And then he saw this. And then when I saw what he was doing, it's like, oh, okay, this is like a studio. You know what I mean? It is. We have a flagrant studio. We have the studio where he does his monologue. We have another studio that they don't really use. They have a green screen. They have all, they have the living room where they brainstorm and just like ideate or whatever the word is. And he just kind of like knew this is what he wanted to do. He's really good once he thinks about a thing of like, okay, this is where it's going. That's, that's fire, bro. Um, yeah. So lastly, man, basically, where do you want to see yourself five, 10 years from now? Um, in, in entertainment or, or in business? So, yeah, I think about business more now because I'm getting married and I'm hoping to have kids soon and all that. So I, I want the fuck you money in five to 10 years, Straight which up. is money that like, I don't need to take your job if I don't like it. If I don't like it, I can tell, and if I don't like you, I can tell you fuck you because I'm good independently. And that's what I focus on a lot now. It's like, how do I get to that fuck you money? Live where I want to live. Even if like, if things go as crazy as they seem to be going, is America going to be a place we want to live in five to 10 years? Right. I want to, I'm not saying I don't want to live there. I'm saying if things go to hell, which I don't think they will, but if they do, I'm okay leaving and I'll be fine. Like I think about business a lot in terms of my career. I want it to be abundantly clear. Like I'm one of the greatest of all time. And you I am, way, bro. Straight and up. I'm appreciate that. And I want to be the standard bearer for my people. Not just like, because I'm, I am competitive and I, I root for try to root for brown people as much as I can. I'm about to say, wait a minute. This the last. This the last last thing. Do y'all connect like you and Hassan yeah. and uh, everybody? Okay, okay. Not everybody. There's certain people I don't like, and those are the people you'll see. I'm not really following on social media. I don't really talk about. But like this kid Nimesh Patel is very funny, good friend. I mean, not good friend of mine. I but I love the kid. Um, I try to do uh, with these three other comics. I call it brownish, and we would do shows. And like, if you see an Indian comedian, you try to be friends. And there's definitely some guys that are like. I don't like them. Who are they? No, I'm like joking. You don't got to say. You don't got to say. <laughs> you, you probably know. But uh, I just don't like this guy. And, uh, but that's like a personal thing. If you're cool people and you're brown, I want to be that much cooler with you. Like, you have that bond. But I want it to be clear, like, I'm the guy for us. That's not, a lot of people, I think, act like they're for us and they're for themselves or they're for white people's approval. I'm for us. Let's go. I'm going to carry our name well. I'm going to carry a reputation as well as I can. Let's do this. Um, and then just, this is one of the greatest of all time. And then financially, fuck you money. Hey man, it's, that's what I'm on. That's what I'm doing. It's independent shit. I'm trying to get the fuck hell you. Yeah. Um, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hey man, I appreciate your urban legends podcast. Like I said, I'm doing this to celebrate people that I feel like are living legends and, and making legendary moves out Thank here. You, buddy. You're a Thank king, you. bro. Keep doing Likewise, your thing. Man. 
I appreciate that. Uh, wish you nothing yeah. but continued success, man. And when I'm in New York again, whatever that is, I'll holla at you. Please do, man. Love you, buddy. I love you too, bro. Peace. Peace.